0: Wa rahmatullahi wa uh, if someone can please give me a sound check, please. Just make sure everyone can hear me. Okay, just like Allah. Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim. Rabbil Alameen. Just do another sound check, make sure everyone can hear me. Someone just saying they lost the sound. Can someone just confirm me? Okay, alhamdulillah. So, um, inshallah, we're on our um, seventh lesson today, inshallah, ta'ala, and we're continuing with the tafsir of Surah Al-Bayna. And inshallah, ta'ala, before we, um, before we begin with today's lesson, let's do a quick recap over what we have to do, inshallah, ta'ala, over what we did rather last week. Just a quick recap over the couple of verses that we did the tafsir of I then have a few announcements to make uh, which I'll make after the recap and then inshallah ta'ala we'll continue with the tafsir of Surah al bayna So uh, first off if someone can tell me inshallah ta'ala last week so just to kind of recap over the last couple of weeks uh, in the first verse or just to kind of join on the first verse onto what we did last week which was verses 2 and 3 where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Bayna after which the Surah is famously named, or most commonly named. What is the Bayina referring to? So according to the various opinions amongst the scholars, what is Bayina referring to? And what is the view that we said seems to be the strongest from amongst those views concerning al Bayina? So what does Bayina refer to? Uh, I think we mentioned a few few different uh, statements of the scholars and then which of those did we say uh, seems to be the more apparent in terms of what is strongest in terms of the views of the scholars. Okay, so salih says one view was the or one opinion was the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We said al-bayna according to some of the scholars was referring to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, that's one view. What's another view? The Quran, Abdul Rahman. Yes, very good. So the Quran, the book of Allah subhanahu wa taala, the Quran is what is being referred to as al-bayna. And then we mentioned a number of other views that some of the scholars had as well. Um, but in terms of what we said was the strongest opinion, what did we say was the strongest of those opinions and on what basis did we say? And this is where verse 1 now links on to verse number 2, the beginning of verse number 2. What is the reasoning? What is the reasoning behind those scholars? What was the view firstly that they chose and what was the reasoning behind the view that they chose? What was the evidence that they used to support that view of theirs? Because so Sumera says, because of how Ayah 2 begins, right? So the, we said that the strongest opinion or the stronger of those opinions is that the Bayyanah is referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and those scholars who chose that view as Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Rahimahullah Ta'ala and others mentioned is because the beginning of verse number 2 explains, it clarifies what the Bayyanah is referring to. And so Allah says, Rasulum Min Allah, a messenger from Allah, referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then Allah says, "Jatlu He re- re- recites uh, clean or recites pure scriptures, right? Recites pure scriptures. Fiha and within it there are uh, numerous chapters or numerous books. And we said we gave a reason as to number one why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala refers to it as kutub Right? What were some of the statements of the scholars as to why it's refer to as kutub Because kutub means. You know, literally books, but Allah is referring to one book which is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran. And so therefore in verse number 3 when Allah says, قيمة, What is the word Kutub referring to? What could it be referring to according to some of the scholars of tafsir? <coughs> so, What is the word Kutub referring to? So Sumaira again, very good. She says um, we could be referring to the number of chapters because Allah Azwj refers to, or in the Quran, there are a number of chapters, and we know that in classical Arabic, kotub or kotub uh, was often a way of speaking about chapters of a book. So that's why in the classical works of Hadith, you often find uh, you often find a number of Qutb you often find a number of Qutb and it means that they have a number of books. So they have Kitab al-Salat, Kitab al-Iman, and Kitab al and Kitab al siyam and Kitab al-Hajj, and all of them are still within the same collection of Hadith Bukhari or Muslim, or whatever it may be. But that's referring to something which um, you know, which uh, which uh, which then they separate or they they categorize their book within those chapters. Uh, another one of those opinions is uh, as as Sumaira also says, Ahkam some of the scholars said that it refers to Ahkam, that Allah in His Qutb refers to the books as in the statutes of law that you find within the Quran and so what Allah is therefore referring to in terms of the Qutb is the Ahkam and this was the position chosen by a number of the scholars of, of Tafsir as well so that's a brief recap of over uh, what we did last week so we kind of finished at the end of verse number three so we, we covered verses one to three um, there's a question here from Lisa. Please, can you clarify the chosen position of Imam Al Tabari? Rahimahullah for verse number one. You mentioned it about four times over lessons one, two, and three. Or one and two, rather. Three times it was similar. Or you, I just lost that. Three times it was similar. They will not leave holding on to the description of the Prophet finding the scriptures until the Prophet comes. When he comes, they would stop and turn away from him. On one occasion, and said something additional about the Mushrikeen, the disbelievers, and the people of the book will not cease to be divided concerning the issue of the Prophet until there comes to them clear evidence and that is the coming of the Prophet they will not cease to be divided how are they divided? the disbelievers and the mushrikeen the mushrikeen are divided in the sense that they don't believe in any Prophet or Messenger will come and the Jews and the Christians are divided because each one thinks that the Savior, the Messiah or the Messenger will come from them, they will support them and they will be the ones who will be victorious yeah so that's okay, I mean I don't know what the question is sorry, within there but that's the statement of Imam tabri as you mentioned, there is a statement that Imam al taala seems to prefer. And in terms of the, dis- the the disunity amongst the mushrikeen, the disunity being that they are divided amongst themselves concerning this and they are divided in terms of their belief. right? So Allah is referring to their disbelief concerning Islam. So they're divided from the Muslims because some of them will believe and some of them will disbelieve from amongst them. They will be believers and disbelievers and they are divided amongst themselves as well in terms of the description of this final messenger as to who it will be and who which which group or which religious base it will he will come from. And so I think all of that is, is correct. And unless I miss something Aliza from your question, which I misunderstood, you can you can clarify that for me uh, later. Uh, T- Musarat asks uh, proof that the concept of some acts of worship were established by previous prophets. Uh, QP transcription team response. Okay. So, Salah, and so this is one of the things that we mentioned last week, right? So, for those of you that, that don't remember, um, you know, like the fact that there were certain things because Allah will mention prayer and He will mention a number of other things as well. So, what is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He mentioned, for example, the concept of prayer and zakah, because that's one of the reasons why we said that some of the scholars said that this surah is madani because of the issue of, of zakah. And so, this is a response to a question that we asked, which was, you know, just like a mini research question, which was, who therefore. Um, you know, if if for example, can Zakah have been revealed in the Meccan period because the concept of Zakah is something which is known even before Islam? So, Salah and He made me blessed. So, with regards to Salah being established before, I think that's what's being referred to. And He has made me blessed wherever I am and He has enjoined upon me prayer and Zakah as long as I remain alive. Right? So, both Salah and Zakah are mentioned by Isa and they're mentioned. In the same surah as well, by Yahya alayhi and both of them are contemporaries. They lived in the same period. Um, I mean, in terms of tawheed, that's a very clear one. So the, the example that you're giving of Musa السلام, we know that every prophet of Allah subhanahu wa taala came with tawheed. So that's very clear. Doesn't require um, doesn't require any elaboration. Uh, the most beloved prayer to Allah azza was the prayer of Dawood who used to sleep for the first half of the night, pray for a third, and then sleep for a sixth. As is mentioned in Sahih Bukhari. Whoa, that's uh, okay. So uh, mentioned Sahih Bukhari with fasting again. You have you could have used the same example of Dawud um, but you have the verse also in in Al-Baqarah, uh, um, which is fasting was decreed upon you as it was decreed upon those who came before you, right? Um, yeah, and then you've mentioned. Sorry, you have mentioned the, the fasting of Dawud and in Zakah. You mentioned that hajj and proclaim to the people hajj yeah, and they will come upon you so that's in the time of ibrahim right so we can therefore see that the concepts of salah and zakah and hajj and fasting were known and were uh, were familiar to the prophets who came before us and in the sharia as they came before us. that doesn't necessarily mean every single prayer every single prophet had every single one of those things in the way that we are that th- that we know them, that they do them within the same way that we perform them, and so on. There may be differences, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best about the exact details concerning the type of fasting and the exact manner of fasting, or the type of zakah that they gave in the exact manner, and what it was obligated upon, and so on. But the general concept of praying and of giving zakah and of fasting and of hajj is something, therefore, that we can see comes before in other Sharia shari'as as well. And so, therefore, you know the benefit of this discussion is. Just because you read that someone says, oh, zakah must mean that it's madani. no, not necessarily so, right? And so we, as students of knowledge, need to be intelligent enough to be able to understand that actually even within those statements, which may be generally true, maybe a general premise that you find within the Quran, it's not, it's not uh, comprehensive. It's not uh, something which can, can, can have no mistake within it or cannot sometimes be, uh, there can be no exception to that in terms of the rule. Uh, Amreen, this is a team effort from four of the sisters from the transcribing team in, t- in response to your research question of the non-Muslims who believed in the Prophet ﷺ through his description. Okay, so that's very good as well. I, I don't actually remember giving these as, uh, uh, per se, as as uh, questions for that, but Jazakumullah Khair, I think it's beneficial anyway. This is good stuff to just have as general information. Uh, Bahira, right, the monk, so I'm going to um, I'm going to kind of like, Uh, you know take this down a bit because it's very long. So Bahira, which is the monk that we mentioned and there's a number of of, uh, hadith that speak about this, a number of descriptions and from them is the narration that is mentioned in the Tirmidhi, he mentions this in his Kitabul manaqib which speaks about the virtues of the Prophet Uh, Number two, let me skip ahead if I can find Number two, I found number one, who's number two? Okay, Waraka bin Nawfal uh, who is the paternal cousin of Khadija رضي الله عنها. but Waraq bin Nawfal becomes a Muslim and so therefore that doesn't follow the same thing. So we're talking about people who who accepted the Prophet ﷺ or knew of the Prophet ﷺ, and then they don't necessarily accept Islam. right? They don't necessarily uh, accept Islam. Um, so Waraq bin Nawfal accepts Islam. Okay, number three is the najashi Okay, that's also very good. Number four, the father and uncle of our mother Sophia. There is a famous insertion from a child in which her father and uncle saw the Prophet and recognized him as the Prophet but still did not believe. But where did you get that from? The fourth one, if you can reference the fourth, number four. Number five, Abdullah ibn Salam, عن, who then also becomes a Muslim, Salman al Farsi, also, uh, عن, and Heraclius. Okay, that's okay. So even though some of them, I mean, these, these are famous people who 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 accepted the Prophet. Um I think that there's like there's some um, there's some like overlap in this. So the the examples of Heracles and Bahira and others, we know that they understood that the Prophet was true and he was a messenger of Allah, but they for whatever reason we don't know whether they accepted Islam, or they didn't really accept his so Bahira sees the Prophet even before a time before he's given Prophet, but he recognizes him as being a Prophet of Allah. And Heraclius understands that he's a prophet of Allah, but he doesn't accept Islam. The other examples that you have uh, are people who who know the Prophet Muhammad is true, and then they accept Islam. And that is the case for the majority of the companions. So what I was looking at was slightly different. Um, but that's like two good examples: Heraclius and and Bahira, uh, and um, and there may be others. And I I remember a couple of others, but I need to look into them again because it's something which I don't I don't remember now. From the top of my head, but there were there were a couple of others as well. People who had understood of about the Prophet So the the example of Salman al-Farsi is a good one, because of the monk who tells him that the time of the Prophet has come. Right, the time of the Prophet is coming, and you need to go to such and such a location because that's where you will find him emerge. Right, so that's that's also a good example. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so, okay, jazakallah khair. But that's that's very good, jazakallah khair. So. The incident about our mother Sophia was in a book, so we only have a picture, which is not possible to upload. We'll try and find a reference, inshallah. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, um, or just write the book, Dad. Just, just give us the book. So, uh, I have a couple of uh, announcements before we carry on, inshallah ta'ala, for today's lesson So, Jack for that, and I think that's very good. So, if you can, you know, every so often we'll we'll ask people, and whoever wants to can go and do these research questions, um, and and that's something which we can all benefit from. And actually, it would be nice if someone—I don't know if someone can do this from the transcribing team or something, or whoever—someone just takes responsibility, and you kind of, we kind of have all of these as 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 a separate file and folder. We just put them down, and then you can categorize them in terms of not necessarily by the surah. You can do them by the surah, but even in terms of what the topic is. So, for example, if we just have like a heading for each one, and we speak about them, uh, it's just good for something that we can have inshallah Taala. As something which we can, um, you know, we can just keep as a separate file and folder just for our benefit. Inshallah, maybe we can even, uh, you know, put it up somewhere on the portal. Um, although, uh, yeah, so let's try to do that. So I have a few updates before before we continue. Inshallah, the first one um, that I've been asked to pass on is that there were updates going on to the portal this week. So if you had trouble logging onto the portal for whatever week, for, for whatever reason, this week it was down for a considerable part of that time and um, there's still some I mean it's back operational now but there there are still some uh, nagging issues and still some some issues that they're dealing with and that includes with the app as well. So if you're having some issues with the app, then that's because they were doing some work on the back end and, and I think those updates are more or less done, but there's still some niggling issues. So we apologize for that and please bear with us. The second thing is that if you, uh, for those of you that are on the portal and everyone should be on the portal and should have a login for the portal, if you go into your profile settings, one of the things that you'll see now is a big red button that says sub- subscribe or unsubscribe. And that's for the mailing list, that we have the QP mailing list. So if, you're, if your profile setting is currently unsubscribed, then you need to click subscribe for us, so that we can uh, put you back onto our mailing list. So then inshallah ta'ala, when we have our exams, or we have changes, or there's any important announcements that need to be made, or any important emails that need to go out, then inshallah ta'ala, they can go out for, for you as well. So um, that's that's the uh, second thing. And the third thing is that one of the things that we're starting, and I think someone's going to put up something about this on the chat as well with more information is that we've started a Telegram group for QP. So for those of you that don't have the app, you need to download Telegram. And once you have the Telegram app, um, oh, okay, khair sallam, Just posted. We are delighted to announce prophetic guidance launch of its official Quranic progression Telegram channel. To join please click and then you click that um, that link there, which is t.me forward slash Quranic progression that will take you to our telegram group and this is kind of our community as, as QP students you know it's, uh, it's something which you're more than welcome to do there's some rules and regulations that we ask you to abide by but it's the only little community where you can like benefit from each other, some of these benefits can be placed on there, you know, the research questions, discussions, questions that you have in mind and so on, you know, I will be checking it infrequently and I stress infrequently, I won't be on it all the time, but it's good just for you to bounce off amongst the scholars and one of the best ways of seeking knowledge and one of the most beneficial ways of seeking knowledge is to seek knowledge with your fellow students. And to have students, for example, that you don't understand. And actually, if you look at the methodology of how to seek knowledge in the early books of Islam, one of the methodologies of asking questions and and uh, clarifying things that don't that you don't understand, or maybe that you missed, or require extra clar- clarification, you find in the early books of, of uh, of of seeking knowledge and the methodology of doing so amongst the early scholars is that they wouldn't say you go back to your sheikh and ask him. You can ask him. But that's not necessarily the way that they would say they would say that you benefit from the students around you so what i miss in my notes someone else has made and the question that i misunderstood someone else has answered and so we collectively come together and we help one another as students and so if you have as we inshallah alhamdulillah we do we have a good group of people uh, you know within our class that can help one another we have some very good very studious people on our, on our class and we have people who, who have differing abilities and levels in terms of their knowledge and so they can help one another. So that's something which is very good but also one of the important things about this telegram group is it gives us another way of accessing and, 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 uh, and giving information out to you other than the portal. So at the moment, if the portal was to go down, you would have no information and no idea that the portal isn't working. You just come on and it wouldn't work or a button isn't working or you're not clicking through, whatever it may be. We would have no real way of being able to communicate to you that there's a technical issue or there's an internet outage or there's some other problem going on. And we'd kind of be stuck without any form of communication. So one of the the great benefits of having just like a group on Telegram is that it's something which then inshallah ta'ala, we can, um, you know, we can at least give that communication to you. So if, for example, there's a time change or there's an emergency or whatever it may be, we have a way of communication with you. And so, I would encourage all of you, inshallah ta'ala, to uh, be on that Telegram group. And then, you know, how however much you want to participate or not is completely up to you. But inshallah, as Sonan has mentioned, uh, it's a group for discussion, and the uh, channel will have announcements and so on. And so, um, yeah, keep the group unmuted. Uh, clearly because otherwise you won't know what's going on But inshallah that's something which um, which I would recommend that you do as well Jazakumullahu khayran Sumairah if we don't join the channel Will you still email any alerts we need? So the emails, as you probably know from Logical Progression, we only send them every so often. We don't like to bombard people with emails. So, you know, you probably get, I don't know, maybe one or two, like a term, if that, uh, you know, within the year, like just a handful. So we don't just send out emails. We don't like to just bombard people with emails. And maybe something, for example, that doesn't, because the prophetic guidance email list will go to everyone, QP students, LP students, everyone. And so not everything is relevant to everyone. So some of the things that we want to do maybe as QP or maybe we have for example I decide within two months we're going to have a QP special session on another methodology of a scholar of tafsir or we're going to do a Quranic science session or whatever. This is a good way for us to be able to communicate that without having to send out mass emails. So I don't know if we necessarily send that email or let's so when we change the time last week from 8.30 to 8 o'clock this week, I don't think we sent out anything on the email list as far as I as far as I know anyway and I said I don't receive the emails but I didn't see anything so the way that we would communicate this primarily would be tr- through this telegram channel and so that's why I think it's a good idea and then you can mute it if you don't want to really uh, you know you just want to check it just before the class on a Tuesday that's fine right so you don't you know there's no pressure on this in terms of how much you have to or don't have to um, you know uh, engage with us. Uh, how classical words that are mentioned in the quran have changed over time so the modern usage of the word is not the same as the classical usage of the word right and that's another thing that we did but again that's like a different thing than inshallah ta'ala we'll, we'll speak about later okay so let's continue inshallah let's carry on with where we left off this week and we are on verse number four so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning the first three verses so allah azza wa jal mentions the first three verses that we covered over the last couple of weeks in verse number four allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ Yet those who were given the scripture became divided only after they were sent such clear evidence. So the first thing that we see here is a clear change in who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing. So in verse number one, Allah azza wa jala says, لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْ and Allah defines these two groups of people, the disbelievers and the Ahlul Kitab, who are the Jews and the Christians. And we say that one of the reasons, and Allah knows best, is that they mention, even though the, the the Jews and the Christians, the people of the book, fall under the general category and under, under the general umbrella of the disbelievers, Allah subhanahu wa taala specifies them here because they were people who were who understood the significance of the Prophet Sallallahu coming. It's something which they understood, it's something which they were told within their scriptures, it's something which they were expecting and should have been expecting and therefore they should have been more receptive to it when it does occur. As Allah Azzawajal mentions, for example, in, in Surah uh, As-Saf, وَإِذْ قَالَ إِسَىٰ ابْنُ مَرْيَمَا يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ مصدقا and Remember when Isa ﷺ said to the children of Israel, I am a true messenger to you from Allah. I have come to affirm what I have before me already of the Torah And giving you glad tidings of a messenger who will come after me by the name of Ahmed and as we know Ahmed is one of the names of our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so the point is that they were aware of this so Allah jal mentions them specifically as well as all of the Mushrikeen because the Prophet sallam was sent to all of them in verse number 4 though as we can see now the the uh, conversation or for example the context of the verse or the address of the verse is changed and switched to the Ahlul Kitab only. So Allah Azza wa says وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ ladina utul Kitab," And this is what Sheikh Muhammad al al-Shaqiti rahimahullah or the student Atiyah Salim in his completion of his tafsir says that we can see here that at the beginning of the surah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was speaking to all of the mushrikeen. Whereas now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the people of the book and the scripture in particular. And that is because this is something which refers to, Allah Azzawajal is referring to something specific now that pertains to the people of the book. And that is what? That the people of the scripture became divided only after they were sent such clear evidence. Right? It seems and Allah Azza wa knows best because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Bayina twice in verse number one and verse number four. And what it seems and Allah Azza wa knows best is it's possible that both of them are referring to the same thing. That Allah Azza is referring to how the disbelievers were disunited amongst themselves. Right? They were disunited amongst themselves in terms of who that messenger should be and what is that sign that they should expect and what is the clear evidence that, that should come to them. What form it would take and so on. As all the all the views and opinions of the scholars that we mentioned uh, in the last couple of weeks. And it's possible that Allah what is referring to in verse number four or the way that it differs is that Allah is saying that the disunity that will now occur and the division that will now occur amongst the people of the scripture once the bayyna comes and the bayyna once again is the Prophet sallallahu as mentioned by Ikrima rahimahullah ta'ala and others from amongst the scholars and this is the position again chosen by imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala for example and, and al-Imam ibn Kathir rahimahullah amongst others that what, what's being referred to here specifically the division and the disunity is how they would disunite and divide amongst themselves the Jews and the Christians. So you have from amongst the Christians those who accept Islam and they believe and those who remain upon their original belief and practices, and likewise you have the same for members of the Jewish faith. And so what you have then is not a division in terms of what is the Bayyinah, who is to come, is it the Prophet ﷺ, and is this messenger, he should be from us, from our people, from our background, from our religion, and so on. No, now the division is that once the Prophet ﷺ emerges, now they differ also, right? They differ in terms of the issues of belief and disbelief. And this is an important issue to, to understand because number one, you have amongst them people who do believe. So, you know, like we said, one of the famous examples would be of Najashi, the Abyssinian ruler, who when the Prophet's message reaches him amongst from the companions who come, uh, foremost amongst those companions who migrate to Abyssinia al-Habasha during that time of the Prophet foremost amongst them, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, عن, the first cousin of the Prophet and the older brother of Ali. And and others from amongst those companions who migrated to Abyssinia and Najashi accepts Islam. That is a marked difference to, for example, the, the 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 story that we mentioned a number of times in Sahih al-Bukhari of Abu Sufyan when he's presented before the Roman Byzantine ruler Heraclius. And Heraclius has that long discussion and it's a long narration. If you go to uh the the opening book of, of, of the the first chapter of, of Sahih al-Bukhari, you find that Imam al-Bukhari ta'ala mentions this in its in in its complete length and he mentions it a couple of times throughout his Sahih and that is this long discourse that Heraclius has with Abu Sufyan to ascertain that this man is actually a prophet of Allah and he accepts this intellectually, he accepts this theoretically, he accepts this from just an intellectual point of view but does his heart succumb, does he believe, does he utter the word of faith, Does uh, the statement of faith, does he accept Islam? No. And so Allah Subhanahu speaks about this division amongst them, but within this is also a very important lesson for us. And that is, that it's not just about knowledge. It's not just the issue of knowing. Because if it was the issue of knowing simply just to know, just to understand, just to have that logical understanding that this man must be a prophet or is a messenger from God, then that would have been enough to save people like Heraclius. It would have been enough for him to be considered to be a, a, a Muslim. And that's why... Uh, from amongst those you know groups and sects, amongst the Muslims that have greatly erred in this regard are those people who say that it's enough iman simply is knowledge, to have ma'rifah, to know. And so long as you know it's enough, right, that knowledge of the heart that you know, that's enough. It's not enough. Because if it was enough, then Heraclius knows in his heart that it's true. And the only reason that he doesn't openly profess Islam is that in the end of the narration when he says to his people, his followers, that if you want to be rulers and you want to continue your empire for many, many years and decades and centuries to come, then you should follow this man. And they go crazy, right? The wording of the hadith is that they run as if they're wild animals, meaning that they go crazy. What is he saying? And they try to flee from Heraclius, meaning leave his court and his palace where he is and that is when Heraclius calls them back and he says to them that I was only testing you to see how firm you are upon your faith because he understood then that this is no longer a question of you know maybe perhaps and so on it's a question of if I agree to this I lose my kingdom at the very least maybe even death and so on as opposed to a Najashi who remains strong and firm and he says, no, I will follow this and I will accept what the Prophet sallallahu wasallam has brought. And he continues, as we know, to be the ruler of a najashi of of Al-Habasha, of Sinni, of his kingdom, until he passes away radiallahu And so it's more than just the knowledge issue, right? Even amongst the Quraysh, there were people who knew, who, who understood and knew and had that feeling within their heart that what the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam brought was true and it was correct. And it was something which they should accept, but they didn't do so for one reason or for another. Right? And the examples amongst them, amongst the people of Quraysh are many in that regard. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us here that the division amongst them, the Christians and the Jews, only takes place once. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam comes meaning the Bayyinah as the Prophet And that Bayyinah in this regard being the Prophet وسلم, what is the result of that? From amongst them are those who believe, from amongst them are those who disbelieve. right? And you have the same amongst members of the Jewish Arab community, those people who were there in the time of the Prophet وسلم, especially in Medina, the tribes of Banu Qaynuqa and Banu Nadir and Banu al and Banu Qurayza. Those tribes that were situated around and on the outskirts of the city of Al-Medina. And amongst them you have, as mentioned uh, in the discussion that we had, that research question from amongst the most famous of them that accept Islam is Abdullah ibn Salam, radiyallahu an, Abdullah ibn Salam, radiyallahu an, the famous companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi And so Allah azza wa jal, and this is something which uh, Ibn Ashur ta'ala says, that it is almost unanimous amongst the scholars of tafsir, that for verse number four they agree, that the meaning of it is that they divided in terms of amongst themselves, in terms of their following of Islam, meaning that some of them follow and some of them do not follow, once the bayina, which is the Prophet comes to them. And this is the same statement that Imam Tabari taala mentions as well. Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that the Jews and the Christians did not disunite concerning the affair of the Prophet wasallam and did not reject him and did not refute him or refuse to believe in him except after the clear evidence came to them. And that clear evidence was the when they learned of the truthfulness of the affair of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that he was the true messenger of Allah that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala sent to his creation. So when Allah sent him and they realized that this is the man that Allah has chosen, that is when they disbelieved, he says. So some of them بعضهم بعضهم. So some of them rejected him and others from amongst them believed in him. And before that, they were not disunited amongst themselves in this way. They weren't disunited in this way because obviously they all were Christians and they all were, were Jews. And there are uh, narrations that you find amongst this. So even in, in um. And I believe in in, uh, Sunan and Nisa'i and other collections of hadith, you have the hadith of the two men who came to the Prophet from the Jewish community and they said to the Prophet, oh, they said to one another, let us go and speak to this man who is the Prophet. And they said, don't call him the Prophet, you don't know he's a Prophet. So they came to the Prophet and they said, we want from you signs to show to us your truthfulness. So the Prophet said that what you will find from me is what you find in your scriptures and that is that you should worship Allah alone and that you shouldn't commit sorcery and black magic and that you shouldn't kill a soul unless with the due cause and, and so on and so on. And Allah Azz- and the Prophet lays out for them a number, I think nine or so different tenets of Islam and parts of faith that they should believe in. And so when the Prophet finishes, the narration says that they kissed him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on his hands and they kissed him, meaning that they accepted what they had. And then he said to them, so why don't you believe they said, because we were told that we shouldn't believe except in the true successor of Dawood, right, of Solomon and Dawood, David of Solomon, and if we believe in you, our people will probably kill us, right? They are people who will probably kill us. And so, therefore, you know, you have these uh, this dichotomy and you have this situation that arises in the time of the Prophet. So, those people who believe and those people who disbelieve. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore shows to us again that point that is so important to remember, that it's not just about knowledge, right? it's not just about knowing the theory and that's why even knowledge that we seek now of the Quran, of the hadith of the Prophet Wasallam, isn't just knowledge in terms of the information. And all too often now, knowledge has become equated with just information. Knowledge is about who can copy and paste. Knowledge is about who can, for example, you know, uh, refute or, or just. This is how knowledge has become now, where it's much more of an information highway than it is about understanding and about connecting and about contemplating and about reflecting and pondering over what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has said or what the Prophet Sallallahu has said. And so, when you seek knowledge, but it doesn't increase you in iman or you've sought knowledge. And that doesn't mean that there's a problem with the knowledge or a problem with the way that the knowledge is being sought or taught. The problem is within ourselves, within our intention, within the way that we're connecting with that knowledge. And so, for example, if I'm learning about the Quran and the Tafsir of the Quran, but it's not increasing me in knowledge, then there's a problem there. Either the knowledge that's been given to me is an actual knowledge. It's not true knowledge. And it's not knowledge which is based upon the sacred sacred texts of the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet and the principles of the scholars. There's a problem in, in the way that it's being presented and in the way that it's being wrapped up. Or the problem is with me as the learner that I'm not learning in, in a sufficient way, that it's not something which I'm you know which which uh, which I'm benefiting from. And if I'm not benefiting from is it because I'm not benefiting from it, is it because of my lack of sincerity? Is it because, you know, is there a problem with the teaching in the sense that it's maybe too advanced for me? This program isn't for me. I need to start with something more basic and then work my way up or I don't understand the methodology of what's going on because that's often an issue when we don't understand, even in the books that we read, we don't understand the methodology of the author and what he's trying to achieve. And that is a big issue that we have today, especially when it comes to classical works. When someone opens, as and we've mentioned this before, whether you open up tafsir al or tafsir ibn Kathir, or if you want to go into Hadith, you go to the different works of Hadith. And all of a sudden you have a book here, and what we often fail to do with most of these books, especially these classical works, is to read the introduction to them. Because oftentimes the author will lay out there in the introduction, they will lay out their methodology. They will tell you what is the purpose of this book and what is their goal behind it and what it is that they want to achieve. And so when you understand what the purpose of the book is, you understand the methodology of the teacher, you understand the methodology of the class, then it's more easier for you to be able to connect with it. And so those are important points that we should remember because always the benefit of seeking knowledge was to increase in Iman. Increase in taqwa, come closer to Allah subhanahu ta'ala, increase in our deeds and in our actions and in inshallah ta'ala our reward before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Knowledge wasn't just about the issue of taking that knowledge of just having it and of just having plenty of information. And that's why you know a number of our teachers even didn't like this issue or just the idea of someone you know memorizing books and memorizing different texts and so just simply memorizing them. Because there's a methodology even into what you memorize. And just likewise, there's you know, the same thing with the with the collections of hadith. People read, for example, all of Bukhari, but they will have read Bukhari. Right? And I, I know from our teachers, some of them have told me that they have come across students who have finished Al-Bukhari, read it from cover to cover. But if you were to ask them what was in Al-Bukhari, or ask them about some of the narrators or some of the teachers of Al-Bukhari, they wouldn't be able to tell you because they're reading or simply reading without, and even in the way of manner of reading that the scholars have of hadith where they just sit down and just read without very, with very little explanation, very little annotation, very little commentary, there is a methodology that they use in terms of that reading as well. And so it's important because otherwise you don't take the or you don't take the fruit of what is meant to be the fruit of that knowledge. Al-Imam ibn Kathir, ta'ala, he says that this verse, verse number four of Surah Al-Bayna, is similar to a verse of the Qur'an in which Allah says in Surah and do not be like those who differed and disunited after the clear evidences came to them and for them is the greatest or the most severe of punishment and that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse is saying that they disbelieved, this is what happened, they disunited once the clear evidence came to them. And Allah then is saying to us in Surah Al-Imran, don't be like them. Because one of the things that we know, therefore, is that the Prophet Wasallam told us that we would follow the previous nations in certain ways, in certain, in certain practices, in certain mistakes that they made. We know the Prophet Wasallam said that you would follow the example of those who came before you, handspan by handspan, footspan by footspan, to the extent that if one of them was to enter into the burrow of a snake, you would follow them into it. And that's because we often follow and make the same mistakes that they made and we err in the same way that they err. What is the difference therefore that we should have? Why shouldn't we split and disunite? Because we understand the importance of the sacred texts. And we understand that for us to resolve even our disputes amongst ourselves and our differences amongst ourselves as Muslims, we should understand that the process by which to do that and the, the asal or the origin that we go back to in order to solve those differences is the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, and that is what Imam Ibn Al-Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala mentions the hadith, the famous hadith that I think that most of us are familiar with or probably have come across before and that is that he said wasallam that indeed the Jews split into 71 sects and the Christians into 72 sects and my ummah was split into 73 all of them will be in the fire except for one they said who is that or messenger of Allah he said that which I am upon and my companions and so that is important because this verse Allah is saying in Surah Al-Imran don't be like them this is what happened to them they differ amongst themselves they're differing amongst themselves when some of them believe in Islam and others reject Islam is because they didn't follow the bayyinat the clear evidence, the evidences that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave So Allah is saying to us, then you have the same bayinat. Our bayinat are the Quran and the sunnah of the Prophet Therefore our differences amongst ourselves, the disunity that you find should be resolved amongst that. And that's the mark of a true scholar. The true scholars and the true people of knowledge are those people who attempt, and yes, there will continue to be differences that are valid, differences that are acceptable, because all of them are based upon those Texts and they can be interpreted in, in a sound way using correct methodology from those sacred texts but otherwise we can often do away with a lot of the culture and a lot of the you know, innovations and misguidance that surround many aspects of our religion, we can remove them by following this principle and that is following the Bayinat, following the clear evidences and the clear signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to us and so Allah azza wa by switching from the general context of the mushrikeen and the ahlul kitab of the people of the scripture switching from the general address to a specific one, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also refers to us. And remember, as we said, you know, especially upon the opinion that this surah is a Madani surah, these are issues now which will start to appear and Allah addresses them. And the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi more and more in the Medinan period speaks about the importance of unity and the importance of people remaining together as Muslims and having that close cooperation. Amongst themselves as Muslims, based upon the principles of the Quran and the Sunnah, Allah Azza wa and the Prophet mentioned this more because of what will inevitably happen down the line when the Ummah begins to split, and it begins to split amongst amongst along theological lines and along uh, you know theological theories, uh, theories of of aqidah and belief and creed, and that then obviously causes what it causes in terms of division and disunity, and that's still a problem today, right? So one of the problems that we have today. Is that many Muslims will are unable to or unwilling to, or whatever it may be, go back to those sources and say the you know the criterion between me and you is the book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this is primarily referring to issues of creed and belief, and where we have issues of innovation and misguidance and so on, as opposed to you know those types of issues in which there is a valid difference of opinion, which is often in the issues of of fiqh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to uh, verse number number 5. And Allah azza wa jal says, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُوا الزَّكَاتَ وَذَٰلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةَ Though all they were ordered to do is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The only thing that they were commanded to do is to worship Allah Azza wa Jal alone, sincerely devoting their religion to Him as people of true faith, to keep up the prayer and pay the prescribed alms of zakah, for that is the true and upright religion. So Allah Azza wa Jal says that their disunity that takes place isn't over anything except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to worship Him alone. Allah doesn't ask for their money, Allah doesn't ask for their wealth, Allah doesn't ask for their children, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want their possessions or their land or their property, all that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from them is his right. And what is his right? His right is to be worshipped alone as the Prophet told us وسلم, in the hadith of Mu'ad ibn Jabal when he asked him of Mu'adh, what is the right of Allah upon his servants and the rights of, his, of the servants upon Allah. He said, Allah and His Messenger know best. He said, The right of the servants of Allah upon His servants is that they worship Him alone and don't ascribe anyone in worship with Him. And their right upon Him is that if they do so, that He will not punish them. And this is what they call for. Allah, for example, tells us in Surah Ghafir, in the story of the Mu'min of Ali Fir'aun, the believer from the people of Pharaoh, when He says to them, Do you kill a man who only says that my Lord is Allah? That's what He's calling to. And even when Heraclius says to Abu Sufyan in the long hadith and Al-Bukhari, he says to him, what is it that he's calling to? What is his call? He says he calls us to worship Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala alone and to leave off the gods that our forefathers worship. And he tells us that we should be honest, people of integrity, people who connect the ties of kinship. That's what he says modesty, chastity. These are the things that he he is calling to. And when Heraclius then at the end of that narration commentates on the answers of Abu Sufyan, he says, when you said this, this is the call of the prophets. This is what they call to. They call to everything that is good, everything that is beneficial, everything in which there is good for people and humanity to come upon or to come and to gather upon. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he says that this is what they differed over, their differing isn't even over something you know, which, 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 you know, they're losing something in terms of wealth or money. Their call is simply, the, what they differed over is simply how that they should worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Mukhlisina lahuddin. That they should make the knowledge sincerely for Him. And uh, one of the points that some of the scholars of tafsir made from this portion of the verse, Mukhlisina lahuddin, is the importance of ikhlas, right, of sincerity. And how therefore that Allah is saying within this verse, that it is a precondition therefore in order for an act of worship or an, a good deed to be accepted that you have ikhlas and from the scholars who made this point is Siddiq Hassan Khan ta'ala, from the scholars of India who died in the year 1307 of the hijra 1307 of the hijra which is just like over a hundred odd years ago 130 odd years ago ta'ala. Siddiq Hassan Khan has a famous book in tafsir called Fathul Bayan and Siddiq Hassan Khan is from the. Uh, not only was he a a, a a scholar from India, from the Indian subcontinent, he was also a ruler. So he was the ruler of the Sultanate of Bhopal, Bhopal in in India, and he married the. His wife was was the original ruler. She she inherited the rule of that kingdom. She married Siddiq Hassan Khan, and he became de facto ruler of of that area, uh, of of that state, which is in today in in modern day India, and. He was not only a ruler therefore but he was also he's known as a prince because he ruled over that state but he is also a scholar in his own right, a scholar of hadith and what he did is he used the uh, you know the treasury that he had at his disposal and, and the state funds that he had at his disposal and the power and the responsibility and the position that he had to spread knowledge and spread knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah and to call people back to the Aqidah of of, of Sunnah, and and he spent a lot of time and effort in doing that, and he spent money in doing that, and this is a time when there were people from coming from Yemen and so on because of what was going on in the world. Scholars from Yemen were leaving because of of the different, uh, you know, like the different invading forces that were taking place around that time. There were scholars from Yemen who were leaving, and they were coming to India because India had trade with the Arab world because of of the of the you know the the roots the spice spice roots and and all of that stuff so some of those scholars left from Yemen and they came to India and they carried with them knowledge the knowledge of Imam Shoukhani and the knowledge of of other scholars from India as we know and they came and they taught hadith and they taught other things and this is one of the ways in which the knowledge of hadith spread in the Indian subcontinent today one of the things that the Muslims and the scholars of the Indian subcontinent are known for generally is their knowledge of Hadith and many of the scholars of even the Arab world, of Saudi Arabia and and much of the Arab world today, when it comes to Hadith and learning Hadith and the Isnad that you have the chain of narration that you have that stretches now from us all the way back to those great Imams like Al-Bukhari and Muslim and and others. often you find one of the main ways that you find today is from the Indian way. There are other ways as well from Isham and from Morocco and other ways as well. But one of the most common is the Indian uh, subcontinent because of these scholars and their position in terms of learning. And that's why you have in Hadith great names of amongst the scholars of Hadith in the Indian subcontinent. We don't have the time to go through that, but inshallah ta'ala, That is an in- interesting discussion It's something which we often neglect and we don't really think about, that the Indian subcontinent has a great heritage of knowledge and scholars and so on. And from that great heritage is in especially in terms of tafsir, and m- much of the many of those scholars of of of, of the Indian subcontinent wrote in tafsir, but they wrote in Persian and in the Urdu language. Um, but one of those scholars who wrote in Arabic as well was Siddiq Hasan Khan, Allah taala. So his tafsir Fathul Bayan. One of the points that he mentions, anyway, that kind of was a bit of a tangent, but one of the points that he mentions is this one here, and that is that Allah in this verse therefore gives us a very clear indication as to what is being referred to in terms of having a class in terms of our religion, sincerity in our religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says Hunafa, Hunafa. The word Hunafa is the plural of the word Hanif, right? And Hanif, as we know in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often refers to the word Hanif by, um, you know, by, uh, uh, as a description of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salatu was-salam. Hanif generally or linguistically in the Arabic language means to turn away from. It means al Mail, to turn away or to go to a different path. And that is because the word Hanif is used, as Allah Azzawajal says, Hanifa wa ma kana min al-mushrikeen. He was a Hanif and he wasn't from the polytheists and the disbelievers. Hanif therefore means that he's left that path. The path of shirk that his people are upon, the path of disbelief, the path of idolatry and polytheism and so on, he leaves that and he goes to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the essence of the word hanif, right? And so when Allah says that He wants us to be people of ikhlas, Allah then explains the meaning of ikhlas, and that is that you are that you leave every type of shirk. And shirk, therefore, is every type of associating anyone or anything in worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that can, you know, it's very prevalent amongst Muslims as well. It's not just, you know, believing in the Trinity or that Jesus is the Son of God or following, you know, worshipping idols in that sense. Amongst Muslims there are people who practice forms of shirk when they believe that others have power over the universe that have died, or there are people who can give them children besides Allah, or people who can from the dead who can hear the du'as and, 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 and respond and answer their, their invocations and their supplications. Those are different manifestations of of shirk that we find even within our time. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Huna Fa and this is something which against Sadiq Hassan Khan Mentions is something which Sheikh Abdul Rahman ibn Sa'di Rahim Allah Ta'ala, Sheikh al Rahmatullah Many of, especially the latter scholars of, of tafsir, They use this to mean the meaning of the word Hunafa Hunafah though in classical tafsir, also has some additional meanings And that is, for example, the statement of Ibn Abbas عنه, in which he says that the meaning of Hunafah is and muslimin, Mushrikeen Those people who make Hajj and they are Muslims and are not disbelievers so he adds the word Hajj and that is because again from the legacy of Ibrahim السلام, but also because these are one of the main distinctions that we had in the time of the Prophet between the Muslims and between those people who are still upon the ways of Jahiliyyah, pre-Islam. One of the main distinctions that we can see is in the Hajj because the Mushrikeen of the Arabs don't, don't uh, pray and they don't fast and many of the other acts of worship that we perform, the ritual acts of worship, they don't have in their religion. What is the act of worship that they do have? that they still perform. That is something which is still a big part of their culture and their tradition and their heritage. It is pilgrimage, Hajj, in their own way and as we know, in their own manner and their own method. And so Allah Azza wa Jal, or rather ibn Abbas radiallahu he gives that description because it is something which is which is pertinent to the discussion. And similar to it is as uh, some of the other uh, statements that you will find, for example, the statement of Qatada, Rahimahullah Ta'ala when he says Al-Hanifiya, Speaks about khitan, it refers to circumcision. وتحريم الأمهات والبنات والأخوات والعمات والخالات. And he speaks to people not marrying their mothers and their daughters and their sisters and their maternal and paternal aunts, which again was something which, amongst certain Arabs in Jahiliyyah and pre-Islam, was common and was permissible. Well, monastic, and he speaks about the pilgrimage, the rites of pilgrimage. And so these are the things that are distinct, right? There are there are distinctions of the people who follow the, the, the religion of Ibrahim but the general meaning of the word Hunafa in its most general and those are examples by the way Ibn Abbas Qatada these are statements that they are mentioning by way of example what it's referring to uh, however the general meaning of Hunafa is to turn away from all forms and all types of shirk and to come to the pure and sincere worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala imam al-Shawkani says in this verse Speaks and he also mentions that this verse speaks, therefore, about the importance not only the importance but the obligation of having a correct and pure intention and sincerity in terms of acts of worship before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al rahimahullah says that Allah in this verse is saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't order the Jews and the Christians and the people of the scripture with anything except and other than that they should worship. Allah alone making the religion purely and sincerely for him that they should worship him alone, obey him alone and that they should leave off any other type of shirk for example, that, say, that they say Uzair is the son of Allah or for the Christians, that the Masih Isa is the son of Allah or that they reject the coming and the prophethood and the messengership of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala mentions something similar as well and he says the word Hunafa in its general sense means those people who turn away from Shirk and they turn towards Tawheed. And then Allah Azza wa Jalla says وَيُقِيمُ الصَّلَا وَيُؤْتُ الزكاة. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions what are some of the greatest acts of worship that a person who then is upon Tawheed will perform and that is the prayer and zakah. and often we know how these two acts of worship are coupled together within the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَذَٰلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةِ وَذَٰلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةِ Today's question that I have for you, so that you can look up, inshaallah, and you can uh, see uh, what's going on. the word "deen," religion, is in the male form, "deen," right? It's a it's a mudhakkar. It's a it's in the male form. Whereas the word qayyimah, because it has the "ta" at the end, is in the feminine form. Why? So surely it should be "deen al-qayyim right, without the "ha" at the end. So why is it al Qayyimah? That's the question that I have, which is slightly more of an of a Arabic kind of, you know, uh, it has an Arabic uh, linguistic and and grammatical kind of uh, slant to it. But I think it's still an interesting discussion to have because it gives us. it's going to inshallah ta'ala next week speak about a, a general point that we can benefit from, the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, uh, Ibn Kathir ta'ala, and many of the great scholars of the past such as the Imam Al-Zuhri and Al-Shafi'i and others use this verse to show therefore the actions are a part of Iman that it's not just about the belief of the heart but actions are a part of Iman because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies these actions in terms of what it's referring to uh, and this is uh, where we come inshallah ta'ala, to the end of this particular uh, verse and this particular session today and as we mentioned last week I think as well uh, that some of the scholars, based upon this verse, said that this surah would be a Madani surah because of the dimension of zakah within it. That they give the zakah, they perform the prayer, and they give the zakah. And as we said anyway, that seems to be the most apparent of those two views that this surah is a Madani surah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay. b. The narration about Ahmad al Safiyah in Rahiq al Maktum. By Al Mubarak Puri, and it is in page 185 in the editions 2 of Asaf. Okay, Jazakallah uh, khair. Okay, so uh, Solange, did they marry their mothers? Yes, they would marry their mothers. So there are narrations of how amongst the Arabs, uh, for example, if, if, um, if the father passed away, especially uh, stepmothers. So if the father had more than one wife and this woman is a stepmother to them and she and she and and, and the father passes away, that the son would marry his stepmother. Right? And that's what it's referring to, I think, more than actual their actual mothers. And Allah Azza knows best. Um, Samira has a question, but I don't think I don't know if that's for me. It's for fellow students. Okay okay and Khair, so she's posted in the telegram group so again just as a reminder for those of you that that didn't hear at the beginning I uh, had a couple of uh, announcements to make the most important of them are probably two number one is if you go to your profile settings in your in your in the portal uh, you'll find a red, red button that says under your name subscribe or unsubscribe to the mailing list please make sure that that's clicked to subscribe so that inshallah ta'ala you are on our mailing list and therefore when we do send our emails you will get them but for more regular and more current kind of um, you know communication and just uh, a way of, 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 of being part of the community of QP then inshallah ta'ala we've set up a telegram channel for Quranic progression and Salaam, Jazakallah khair, has set out the link again so if you click onto that link or you type that in or however it is that you, you log on to this stuff in, in telegram then, um, you know, once you download the app, then it's something inshallah ta'ala which you'll be part of. And then, any kind of announcements that we have to make, anything that we need to discuss, and like these research questions and so on, uh, you know, you can post it onto there as well. And then, inshallah, at the beginning of the next lesson, we can have a discussion concerning those research questions as well. So, jazakumullah khairan. Uh, I think that we've, alhamdulillah, done a lot of QA today as well. So, if there's nothing else, inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today's session insha'Allah, I will see you all next week barakallahu feekum wa jazakumullahu khairan wa sallallahu Nabi muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh